<clears throat> How do you prepare for storms? It was just a couple years ago. Um, we were going to the happiest place on earth. You know what I'm talking about? It's not Starbucks. It actually has the name, the happiest place on earth. It's Disneyland, right? And we're going to celebrate like a, one of those big milestone birthdays for me. And I'll let you guess my age. I'm pretty young. Um, and uh, we're going there to celebrate my wife's birthday at the same time. And it's like we got, you know, the in-laws are there. And we've got uh, sisters flying in with family. And we start looking at like the, the weather bug app because we live in a dry part of the country. And we realize as the dates are getting closer, uh, rain is actually a forecast for the happiest place on earth. And I guess, you know, they, they need occasional showers. And we thought that's fine. And then we get there and like the first day it rained a little bit. Okay, a lot of bit. And we thought this is surely going to pass, right? Like a kidney stone, this will pass, right? So... Then you look at the Weatherbug app again, you realize it's like the next four days. And you start thinking like, we're here for four days. And I was like, wait a minute, that's matching up. And so it's stormy, right? And so what do we do? Well, we go and we buy equipment and we say, we're just going to make the best of it, right? And so how do you prepare for a storm? Well, you go down the street to Target and you buy up all the galoshes that you can find, right? Because like you've invested so much to be here in this moment. And so you go buy all the galoshes and then you buy like, you know, those, those, uh, those suits that like are supposed to be water repellent. They don't work. Okay. But in theory, they're supposed to work. And so we buy those, right? And I got my rain jacket and we got all these things and you prepare for the storm, right? Because you could take action in that. But let me ask you this. How do you prepare for a storm in life that an umbrella won't cover? Anyone ever faced a storm in life? You can raise your hand. You're among friends. Several of us. My hunch is every one of us. And in the context of that backdrop, I want us to dive back into the book of James and begin to look at some things that how he starts his book. Now, we kind of launched into this last week. And if you didn't get a chance to to be here on Super Sunday, I want to invite you to go back and kind of listen in on that message because it's going to give you a backdrop and an understanding of, of who writes this book. In fact, I invited some of you who are maybe not even followers of Jesus and you're like, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of this whole church thing. And I said, just journey with us because the reality is who writes this book? Man, he was the biggest skeptic around of Jesus. And something happened to him where he went from skeptic to sold out servant. That's what he says about himself as he writes this. This is written by James, the brother of Jesus. So let's just think for a moment to your siblings, okay? If your siblings were to write a book about you, would they even read it in church? Right? So this is James being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a book about Jesus. One, he didn't even believe in him to be the Messiah. In fact, he even joked about it and kind of ridiculed him and looked down on it. And then something happened in James's life. And that's what we looked at last week, where he came face to face with the reality of the resurrected Christ. And suddenly 
Jesus was no longer a brother. He was the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And something had to change. And it wasn't going to be Jesus because he just got up out of a grave. This had to be about James. And so James goes on this spiritual journey for himself and begins to own it. And he begins to say, hey, there's some things about this gospel. And begin to understand that the way he's writing is really power-packed. There's not a lot of fluff in this book. In fact, it's pretty hard-hitting. Uh, the first verse is actually what starts the book. Hey, this is James, a servant of God, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, written to the 12 you know, tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. And then he starts, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. But he just dives into it. He, he wants us to understand that the gospel is powerful. It's not just a band-aid for your boo-boo in life. It's meant to change everything about you. And as you live in the love and the grace of Jesus, as you let that fuel you, it will begin to change you. The love of Christ is meant to invigorate your love back to God. And it's meant to change you. The gospel and the power of the gospel is that God's love transforms people. It doesn't just merely inform people. It's about transformation. It's about moving your life a little bit further down the line. See, God has concern for people. See, here's what you have to understand. James is writing this book early on in the church history. Okay, this is around 49 AD, give or take. This is when the first, like just the inkling of the, the church, the concept of the church, the movement of the church that Jesus launched was kind of getting its, its traction, getting its feet. And it suddenly is face to face with this intense persecution. This is about the time, the first wave of real persecution against the church and against this Jesus movement began to take place. And people were scattering all over. It started in Jerusalem. And it began to scatter all over, around the corner and, and across the city and in the surrounding cities and the surrounding nations. It began to scatter. And you have to understand, this is actually God's plan. So sometimes we don't like persecution, but the truth is sometimes God has to use persecution and, uh, and navigate it in order to get his mission out because God has concern for all people. And if it was just up to the church in Jerusalem to stay there and to hunker down and to gather every Sunday and to celebrate and be like, woo, we're awesome, Jesus is awesome, let's praise. Well, then the church really wouldn't have a global impact, would it? And so this first wave of persecution and this trials that comes, this difficulty, this hardship that's unfolding, Jesus and, John, and James addresses this, that, hey, this is actually part of what Jesus was talking about, that we're to be witnesses into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth because God has concern for all people, locally and globally. Because he's the big God. He's not a local God only. He's global. And he has concern for everybody around the corner, across your city, and around the world. And this message of love and grace and hope in Jesus is meant to go out and so Jesus is even working in the midst of what seemed like difficulty and hardships. And James begins writing back to this, and he starts his book this way. So if you have your Bible, you can go to James chapter 1, verse 2. We'll get there. We'll get a few verses done tonight. James chapter 1. And if you want to read along with us as we kind of go throughout this book, we may skip a couple passages. We'll come back to it, and we're just going to make our way. I kind of told you last week, I framed out about 14, 15 sermons. We're only doing nine, and we'll take us up to Easter, okay? So here's what he says. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, let me reread that because you may have missed that. Consider it what? That did not sound very joyous. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy? What? Is joy like the first reaction when you get a flat tire? Like, do you like, sweet, awesome. I was hoping for this on a Monday, right? No one. And if you get a flat tire tomorrow, you call me. I'll help you change it. Um, Just Monday, though. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Hey, guys, James, servant of God, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered. Greetings. Life is tough. That's pretty much what James is saying. Life's tough. But it's actually for your good. What? That seems challenging at first, right? Didn't, I mean, don't you read those words and you're kind of like, well, hey, I, I don't know. What he's saying is he's looking around at the reality of what's going on in the first century church. And I think the Spirit's kind of given him wisdom to what's going to go on in your life and what's going to go on in my life. And what he's saying is, hey, life's tough, okay? We're not going to sugarcoat this thing. This isn't about just putting rose-colored glasses on. This is about reality. Life's difficult at times. There's hardships that are going to come your way. There's persecution that might unfold. There's, there's struggles that you're going to have. There's situations and circumstances that are not going to go your way. There's dreams that you want that are going to fade. There's things that you desire that you're not going to get. And I think sometimes we look at that and we go, well, that's not very fun, right? I mean, that's kind of how we feel. Because we want everything to be perfect. Anyone here ever experienced perfect life? Perfect, not a hand up. Anyone experienced the reality of life? Yeah. That's what James is dealing with. He's not calling us to be fake. He's not calling us to, to live in this like utopian neverland of being a follower of Christ. He's saying, look, here's the reality. Okay, life is tough. And I think sometimes maybe, maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking back to something his brother said, to something Jesus said a while back to his early followers. Remember, think back to John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said these words. I have told you all this. He's unfolding what's going to happen in him. And he's saying, I have told you all this, that you may have peace in me. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But you take heart. You take heart. I have overcome this world. And when Jesus said those words, I think when James started writing this book, it began to echo again. The Spirit brought it back up into his mind. And he's writing to a church that's scattered. And he's writing to a church that's fledgling, trying to get traction, trying to get this Jesus movement going. And it's facing difficulties and hardships. And I think those words are echoing 
deep in his soul. Hey, you take heart. I know it seems tough right now. But you are not alone. And the reason you can overcome is not how much gumption you put into it. It's the shadow of the one who's with you. And you can take heart because he's with you. And he will get you through it. And so you take heart. In fact, you rejoice when hardship comes. Because you know it's actually God can use that. God can take some of your darkest moments and leverage them for your greatest growth. God has a way of doing that like no one else. And in those dark moments that you face and the ones that I face, Jesus has a way of saying, you know what, I can, I can leverage this for your good. Romans 8.28 We know all things work together for good for those who trust in Him. Doesn't mean all things are good that unfold to you. Doesn't mean other people's choices that affect you were right. Doesn't mean your idiotic decisions weren't, you know, dumb. They might have been dumb. It just means God can leverage. He's big enough. He's sovereign enough to take even the hardships and the struggles that you and I face and to turn it around and use it for our good. See, we, when we face hardships, we want to pass. Anyone ever get a hall pass when you're in high school or junior high? It was pretty sweet, right? You get that little pass and you're like, uh, I'd like to get that because I know we have a pop quiz coming up. My friend told me we were having a pop quiz about 10 minutes in, like that pass. And you take it and you avoid it because we like to avoid pain, right? In our safety driven culture, we are all about pain avoidance. That is what we are about. And what James is saying is you cannot avoid all pain. It's unavoidable. You are not invincible. And you do not have a super cloaking mechanism that keeps you hidden from all pain. You cannot wrap your life in bubble wrap. Pain is a part of the reality of what you're going to have to navigate. Hardship and struggle and difficulty is going to come. And you can actually learn from it. Sometimes it's actually for your good. Now, not to get, uh, <clears throat> I know people may have different views on this, but as my kids were young, I wanted to get them vaccinated for certain things, right? And I would take them in and they would look at me as I kind of held their legs down as they're getting poked with needles in the legs. And they're looking at me like, you're betraying my trust. You are my father. You have become my enemy. Um, you know, it's just they don't say those words because they can't talk yet. But that's what they're saying in their eyes as they're crying. And they don't know. I'm actually doing this for your good. I know you hate me right now. But I'm trying to protect you from something worse. Anyone ever learned to ride a bike? Remember riding a bike? You have the training wheels on, mom, dad, aunt, uncle trying to help you ride the bike. And then they take those wheels off, right? They're like, you can do it. You're like, I know I can't do it. And you take off and what happens? You fall, right? And you skin up your knee. I remember trying to teach my kid, which is, they fall, it's, it's all cut up. And you're like, that was bad. Let's do it again. You're like, what? So, this is actually for your good. It doesn't feel very good. But it's actually for your good. I don't want to do it anymore. Please, let's do And you have this struggle, right? Because you know, as a parent, an aunt, an uncle, someone older, someone who learned to ride a bike, you know 
the freedom it brings and the joy it will bring. But there's hardship before it, right? There's difficulty. Every coach knows this. That's why they run. If you've ever been on a sports team, they run you to death the first two weeks, right? Because they're trying to make you better. And in the moment, you don't like it. But you know it's actually for your good. The older you get, and you have a perspective. And because you're understanding something that James is tying into here, you consider it pure joy when you face those trials. You don't have to go seek them out. They're going to find you. You don't have to be weird about this. But understand that when they come, it can actually be for your good. It can build up perseverance in your life as you see God interact with you and lead you through these hardships and lead you through these struggles, that there's actually some life to gain in the midst of the pain we navigate. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote these words, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, God may whisper to us in our pleasures. He may speak to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. And if you've ever experienced pain and discomfort and hurt and and setbacks in life, I hope that you've experienced the fact that God is trying to make himself known to you. I hear from people all the time. Am I experiencing this hardship because God's angry at me? God's angry at sin. He's angry at the bitterness and the brokenness that it creates in the world, and he dealt with it with Jesus. God's not angry with you. Now, are there consequences to our actions? Yeah, there are. That's called life. Welcome to it 101. There are consequences. That doesn't mean God's angry with you. You know what? God's actually for you. God actually loves you. That's what we see in the scriptures over and over. Are there consequences to actions? Yes, there is. God's not the cause of your pain, but he is capable of leveraging your pain for your good and for your betterment. You consider it pure joy when you face these trials. And I know that seems hard to get your mind around. And I think you have to understand a difference here. We equate happiness to like the, the, the best of the best. And you have to understand that biblical joy, what the scripture writers are trying to say about this idea of joy, is not that you never have hardship. Joy is that you have an identity and a security and, and a a sense about you and where life is going that goes beyond your circumstances. See, happiness is, is simply circumstantial and situational, isn't it? If you have the right situations and you have the right circumstances, then you can be happy. But listen, you can have joy when life is falling apart. And that doesn't mean you wish for it to stay that way all the time. And it doesn't mean you don't wish for some situations to be different. It just means that you have a providential understanding that it is your identity, that you are a child of the king. And it doesn't matter what my situation or my circumstances are. I have an identity foundation. It's not based on what's going on around me. I can have joy because I know I'm sought after. 
I am loved. I am treasured. And I'm going to be okay no matter what. Because the guy who got out of the grave and said that he loved me, he's with me. His shadow is his presence with me, whatever comes my way. And so I can live with joy. I may not be happy in the situation that I'm understanding or living within, but I can live with joy. We can rejoice. We can say that this struggle is actually going to produce something better. That's why you work out, right? You have a struggle tearing down your muscles because you want them to be built up better. And so sometimes we have to understand this, that pain can serve a purpose. And throughout life, this is what God begins to come back to. I have this intensity. It was never meant to be this way. Originally, you just go back to the creation story and you realize that, that we made decisions as humanity. We chose to rebel. We chose to say, God, we can do it better. And God said, no, 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 no. Remember, I set up some boundaries and this is the best possible way to live life with me and to have paradise. And we chose differently. And sin entered the picture. And the reality is on a very macro level, sin messed everything up for you and for me and for the people around you and for this world. And we can look at our world and go, our world is messed up. You know what? It is. Because on a macro level, sin messed it up. That's why Jesus came. On a macro level to set things right one day. And he will. And on a micro level, to let you know you're loved, you're known, you're treasured, and there's a way for you to have life with God through faith in Him. That's the gospel. That's the invitation to live life with that foundation. And when you live life with that foundation, you can then begin to say, you know what, I may not like this, but I will choose to be joyful in the midst of it. And it doesn't mean I'm happy about it. It just means I have an identity that says I'm secure, I'm okay, and God can somehow leverage this. I don't see how he's going to do it. It doesn't make sense how he's going to do it, but I'm trusting that he's going to do it because he's done it in the past in my life, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will do it again. He's a do-it-again God. He does it all the time. And I can have faith in that, and you can have faith in that. That's why we can, uh, <clears throat> we can come to this place and say it's critical to understand who Jesus is and what he was up to. You consider it pure joy when you face these trials. See, God doesn't necessarily always give us a way out. We always want a way out. God, I'm having hardships. I'm having struggles. Give me a way out, right? We want the hall pass. We want to go. God doesn't promise that it's always going to be a way out. There may be. There may be moments where he does give you a way out. But I promise you this. God always promises that he will get you through it with him. So whatever hardship or struggle or, or strife or difficulty, situation that's unfolding, God, God says, look, I may not give you a way out, but I promise you, I will give you a way through. I'm a way through kind of God. And I did it for my son, and I'm going to do it for you. And I'm going to do it for you again and again. God can take some of your darkest hours and leverage them for your greatest growth. How many of you would just say amen to this statement? 
you know what? I've had difficulties, and God met me in the midst of them. And I'm a better person because I went through it. I think a lot of us can give that testimony. Now, does that mean I want to go seek this stuff out? No, don't be dumb. <clears throat> but it means when it happens. It's not if you know hardships come your way. You consider it pure joy if some things happen. No, you consider it pure joy when trials come your way. Because God will actually leverage them to help you. He promises to be a way through for you. He will help you. Now, what's fascinating about this text is James goes on. And I want to look at this next part because there's a couple tangible, I think, simple things that we can gain as we go through trials and hardships and difficulties that we face in life. Now, you may not see the connection right away because I didn't see the connection right away for lots of years. But James continues to write and he talks about this idea of wisdom, right? And in a lot of ways, sometimes we take this text and we look at it from wisdom. We go, see, we need to pray for wisdom. And you do. We did a wisdom series a few months back. You can look it up if you want. Um, And we need to pray for that. But I think in a lot of ways, James is actually tying this a little bit to what he's just said. Hey, life is tough. And when life is tough, you need to trust that God's at work behind the scenes. And he can actually leverage this for your good. And it will help you in life. It will build up perseverance. And not just perseverance so that you can take on bigger trials and bigger difficulties, though some of that is true. But it will actually begin to produce something in you. It will actually take you to a place where trials carry a potential to build up our weaknesses, help us build up endurance, and fill in our character, don't they? They have a way of filling in the gaps sometimes within our character within how we see the world, right? He goes on and he says some words here, uh, verses 4 through 6. He says, look, I want you to let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all who, without finding fault. It will be given to you. But when you ask, um, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect anything. Such a person is double-minded, unstable in what they do. He said, look, ask God for wisdom. Seek it out. Trust that he's going to provide it for you. See, trials have a way of giving you some wisdom, some life experience. Let me define wisdom this way. Wisdom is an understanding of how the world works and the ability to navigate it well. It's an understanding of how the world works and gives you the ability to begin to navigate it well. How many of you would say in your growing up years, sometimes uh, you were a little uh, not wise with your finances? Okay, I'll raise my hand for that. Now, either I can learn through the trials that that brought about and the consequences that that brought about, and I can learn from that, and it helps me see the world better and to be able to navigate it better moving forward, or I can continue to repeat the same cycles, right? And so in a lot of simple ways, if you look back over your life, whether it's in sports, whether it's in your job, whether it's in school, whether it's finances, whether it's in any different situation or circumstances at work that you face, I bet you learned some wisdom through some difficulties that you went through. Because it it let you see the world in reality and give a better, bigger scope to it. And it helped you figure out how to navigate it better. What we always say, hindsight is what? 
2020, right? That in a lot of times you go through things and you look back and go, man, I sure could have gone through that better, right? And so the next time it comes around or a similar circumstance circles back around and you're able to hopefully navigate that next situation better with greater wisdom and understanding that you get better at it. See, wise people have a firm grasp on reality and they know how to begin and take some flourishing steps that don't hold them back, but actually set them up to keep moving forward, even when it's difficult. There's difficult moments in life. I, I love to, to tell my kids sometimes when there's difficulties going on in their lives, I'll kind of pull them aside and I'll, I'll say, hey, I want to give you, a, and I call it a life lesson. And here, I've told you this before, uh, for some of you who might be new, this is kind of one of the little tricks or tips that I do as a parent, as a dad. And I know when I say, I want to give you a life lesson, I'm on the clock. I have 90 seconds. That's all I'm giving myself. Because I have the gift of gab. And I could go for a long time and I don't want this. <sighs> you know, the rollover eye thing and the drifting away into space. And so I say, I've got 90 seconds to teach a life lesson. And all I'm trying to do is impart wisdom. Okay, <clears throat> yeah, you have this issue. And you can either have the conversation this way or you can continue to ignore it and it will get worse. And so maybe sometimes you need to have the difficult conversation earlier and actually to help you navigate it better. Think about it. And then I'm out. That's my job as a parent is to help coach my kids. I want them to grow in wisdom because I want them to be able to understand life and navigate it better, right? And James is kind of writing, look, this hardship's going to happen. Here's one of the things I wrote down. Trials can give us wisdom to let go of things that fade. Sometimes in the midst of our hardships, God might be trying to get our attention to say, you need to let go of some of the things that you are holding on to that you think are so important, that matter so much to you, and they don't matter in the end. You've spent your whole life building this, and yet you've missed the relationships around you. And sometimes... When we go through difficulties and hardships, remember we said sometimes God's shouting in our pain, trying to help us understand that maybe there's some wisdom here for us to let go of some things that we put way too much stock in. We, we put too much value upon and we spend too much time searching after them. And God's saying, I've got something better for you to focus on. James is saying, look, <clears throat> the reality of what's happening around you if you're poor and you're struggling, don't put all your stock in trying to just to be rich. He goes on. He says, look, if you're rich and you got things together, don't put all your stock in that stuff because that stuff fades. You need to learn to let go of what you think might be important in order to really hold on to who matters and what matters most. That's the second thing. That trials can give us a wisdom to hold on to what does last forever and who lasts forever. James chapter 1 verse 12 says this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, this person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Sometimes, friends, pain has a way of getting our attention. 
And in that moment, we have a couple simple things to think about. <clears throat> is this pain, is this hardship getting my attention because I'm either holding on to things that don't matter? Or is this pain, this hardship getting my attention because I actually need to hold on to God more? How do I consider it pure joy when I go through this stuff? Because that seems so different than what I feel in these moments. And James is saying, look, you can, when you don't base your life on situations and circumstances being your foundation, when your identity is you are a child of the king, then you can live with joy. And you can actually recognize that God recycles pain and he recycles hardships, and he can actually leverage some of those difficulties for your good to help you build up perseverance, to help you gain wisdom if you listen to it and let it be a teacher to you. God, let me understand that the situations and the hardships and the difficulties I'm facing give me ears to hear. Remember, Jesus said that all the time. If you have ears to hear, eyes to see. So a lot of times I'll spend time praying, God, give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear what I need to learn in this situation. I don't like this situation. It's difficult. It hurts. And God's saying, look, I may not give you a way out of this, but I promise you I'm going to give you a way through it. I'm with you. My shadow is cast over you. I am present. I am here. And we will make it. Now, will you let me leverage this? For your good? Or will you just keep me at arm's length? See, the truth is, I think a lot of us, when we go through difficulties and we go through hardships, we tend to push God further away because we're hurt. And yet, the one, the very one we should be running to, stands and says, I'll wait here for you, but I will not force myself upon you. And sometimes I'm shouting through this pain because I'm trying to get your attention to either let you let go of something or to have you grab hold of me more. And I will walk you through this, I promise you. But you gotta trust me. This seems like a hard lesson, doesn't it? It doesn't seem like an easy thing. See, as we look to God, we realize that our troubles and our trials, <clears throat> in reality, Sometimes we make them way bigger than what they are, right? Have you ever experienced that? You're having a difficulty. Maybe you go see a friend in the hospital and you realize the challenge they're facing and then you leave there and you feel better about yourself because you're like, man, my problems are not like those problems, right? <clears throat> see, the idea of problems is all about perspective, isn't it? That's why when you go to a third world country, and you hang out with people who actually have joy in life. And then you compare your situation to theirs and you go, how is that possible? I have everything compared to what they have. And yet I'm missing the very thing that they have found. Don't we see that all the time? Because you can find joy even in struggles and even in the troubles that we face. We follow a Savior in Jesus who bought you with a price, who sealed you with His Holy Spirit, who made a deposit upon your life and said, I will get you home, period. You will be with me. We follow a Savior who is Himself known 
as the suffering servant. Jesus understands pain better than anybody. He does. And I think sometimes we forget that. One of the uh, places in uh, Jerusalem where I was a few weeks ago that I think was the most impactful to me was sitting in the pit in Caiaphas's house where Jesus would have been lowered into before he was taken to Pilate. Probably for about five or six hours, he was down there. <clears throat> and he was down there for me. And to stand there and realize this isn't just something on a page. This isn't just something, a story that I've been told. This is a reality that Jesus went here, stood here, alone, isolated, facing everything in the world that was going to unfold in the next 24 hours for him. And he did it for me. Jesus understands pain. He understands suffering. He understands difficulty. He understands hardship. And he says to you and to me, you take heart. <laughs> I've overcome this world. And when I overcome this world and I partner up with you, we can get through anything. And that you can take to the bank. And that is an amazing reality that now sets us up to realize what James is saying. I can consider it pure joy when I face these trials because I don't face them alone. And I may not have the get out of jail free card and I may not have the past that gets me out of circumstances, but I have the Savior who walks with me, who promises I will get through it. And when I go through it with Him, I actually get better at being a better reflection like him. My character gets filled in more. My, my hardships he leverages for my good because God can recycle all that. It's amazing how he can do that. Even some of the things that you wouldn't wish upon your enemy. And if that has happened to you, I'm so sorry. But I'm telling you, that does not define you. It doesn't. That's something that happened to you. But Jesus can get you through it. You can consider it pure joy. Was it right? No. It was 100% wrong. But you're going to be okay. Because he's a God who can get you through it. So in a moment, we're going to observe communion. We're going to sing a song called Take Heart. And I want you to take heart, friends. I know life is tough. Can I just echo the words of James? Hey, greetings. Life's tough. And I know it's difficult. For some of you, I know you walk in here every week and you carry a weight that no one sees, but you feel like nothing else in your life can ever lift it from you. And I'm so sorry. We want to be a church that helps you not have to carry that alone. We want to be that kind of place. We want to be that kind of community of people. And so I'm going to invite you as we take communion to do two things. One is, maybe you just want to take communion tonight and just recognize that we have a, a suffering servant Savior who says, I understand pain. I'm not <clears throat> ignorant to it. I'm not distant from your pain. I actually hurt with you. And I promise you, I've got enough power to get you through it. You walk with me. 
And I want you to hold that bread and to take that juice and remember that he died for you to empower you. That's the gospel to empower you to now live differently because you're living with him now. And so as our worship team comes back up, the second thing I want you to do is if you're here tonight and we don't do this all the time, but I want to do it tonight and maybe another time in this series. If you're here tonight and you just want you need someone just to pray with you. I know my friend Sandy is on our prayer team. She's going to be down here. My friend Charlie is over here, and they're on our prayer team, and they would just love to pray with you. You don't have to tell them details. Just say, hey, make up your name. We don't have name tags. Make up a name. Um, And just say, hey, I just need prayer for this, and I'm just struggling. We just want to pray for you. I'll be down here. I'd love just to pray with you. And so during communion and during this final song, we're going to kind of be over in the outskirts. You just come find us. And we'd love just to pray for you tonight. So take communion, hold that, and just recognize Jesus promises to get you through. And as you lean in, if you want to be prayed for, we'd love to pray for you tonight. Make sense? So, Father, as we move into this time of communion and of our final worship song tonight, God, would you help us be a people that take heart, that consider it joy when we face these difficulties, knowing that you are a God who promises to get us through it, You can leverage it for our good. Help us to lean in and to gain wisdom from it. We don't wish it, but we will take it. Because we take it with you. And so, Fathers, we remember you and the suffering that you did, Jesus, on our behalf to rescue me, to rescue us as followers of you. We worship you. We worship you.